Some of you might have seen him when we did a seminar at the University of Toronto titled War, Peace and Secession. I had invited him for that, and, uh, he was mentioned in my for uh, being here with us today. Sheikh was born in Medina to Munawwara, the blessed city of the Prophet and then he migrated to Canada and he opened an institute, most of you know Darul Uloom al Madaniya, where I have graduated from in Buffalo, New York. And in 2010, because of the circumstances of children and kids not being able to come uh, into the U.S. to continue their studies and finish their higher Islamic education, he started a new branch called Darul Uloom Canada. And mashallah is prospering as, as well as the Buffalo one. And Sheikh, uh, again, mashallah, when you hear him, you, he will not need any introduction. He travels across the world to uh, benefit the Ummah and uh, in, in all aspects of life. And Sheikh also teaches Sunan al-Tirmidhi, one of the six authentic books of Hadith in Darul Canada. And uh, uh, as well as other, like Tafsir, and he has uh, classes of Fiqh and so on. Uh, we thank the Sheikh for being here. We make dua that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala make this a beneficial gathering and I want to thank all of you for being uh, with us here on this Saturday afternoon. Without further ado, uh, Sheikh Ibrahim Azim. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Sheikh. لو تيجي جنبنا هنا يكون أسهل أنا الحمد لله رب العالمين والصلاة والسلام على أشرف الأنبياء والمرسلين سيدنا وحبيبنا ونبينا محمد وعلى آله وأصحابه وأزواجه ومن تبعهم بإحسان إلى يوم الدين أما بعد فأعوذ بالله من الشيطان الرجيم والذين يقولون ربنا هب لنا من أزواجنا وذرياتنا قرة أعين واجعلنا للمتقين إماما أولئك يجزون الغرفة بما صبروا ويلقون فيها تحية وسلاما خالدين فيها حسنت مستقرا ومقاما وقال الله جل وعلا إن الله وملائكته يصلون على النبي يا أيها الذين آمنوا صلوا عليه وسلموا تسليما اللهم صل وسلم على حبيبك ونبيك سيدنا محمد وعلى آل سيدنا وحبيبنا ونبينا محمد وبارك وسلم تسليما كثيرا كثيرا جز الله عنا سيدنا محمد صلى الله عليه وسلم بما هو أهله اللهم آته الوسيلة والفضيلة وبعثه مقاما محمودا الذي وعدته واجزه عنا ما هو أهله واجزه أفضل ما جازيت نبيا عن قومه ورسولا عن أمته 
وصل على جميع اخوانه من النبيين والصالحين يا ارحم الراحمين اما بعد my respected and dear brothers and sisters my purpose of sitting over here this time is not to give a lecture is not to educate you of something that you may not already be aware of it is only to share some words with my brothers and sisters as reminders for all of us as Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says fadhkir fa inna dhikra tanfa'u al-mu'minin Remind, for reminder helps the people of Iman. And then it just opens up avenues for us to sit together, discuss something about our deen in the light of the teachings of Quran and the Sunnah of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. I see a beautiful gathering here. A lot of my young friends are here and I like to stay to my level and therefore I would be morely, mostly talking to my young brothers and sisters than talking to adults. It's not because you don't understand me as many of the youth think that you know they don't understand. And as adults we think they don't listen. It's a barrier. But inshallah we will try to discuss on breaking the barriers and just being open to each other and to every person that we talk to. Our deen is very beautiful deen gave us instructions about anything and everything that we deal with in our life. There isn't a situation that you can get into in your life and this deen will not give you some instructions about it. There will always be some beautiful teachings about the situation that you as an individual are facing in your life. Moving on as a family, as a community, as a country, as a nation, everything, any person, in any state, in any situation has to face in his or her life, our deen will have some beautiful instructions and teachings about it. Most of the times we look towards deen when we are facing a problem. For sure, deen welcomes us again, doesn't close the door that you didn't come to me when you were enjoying yourself and now you come to me at the time of difficulty, yet our deen will present us with some beautiful instructions and solutions to all the problems or difficulties we may be facing. One of the challenges that we all face in our life is the challenge of dealing with each other in a family. Adults with children 
at the same time children trying to get their ways done or at least accepted by the adults that are in the family could be parents could be older brothers and sisters which many times annoys the adults of these young ones are trying to get their ways and not listening to what we have to say a lot of time rather than building a bridge we build a wall and we try to put a full stop at something the other person is trying to do it does not stop remember one of our ingredients in our body that quran also speaks about is water خَلَقَ مِنَ الْمَاءِ كُلَّ شَيْءٍ حَيٍّ وَجَعَلْنَا مِنَ الْمَاءِ كُلَّ شَيْءٍ حَيٍّ Every living being has water ingredient in it. This water, if you have a wall, if, you have, if the water is flowing and you build a wall in front of it, the water is not going to just stop there. It will start moving around it. It will just find a way or at least try to find a way. It will build up. If you make it build up and stand there for a long time, it will be stagnant water that you can never use. So if you stop it, it's useless. It keeps on moving. You have to let it move for some time before it is usable and before you can refine it and make sure that it is something that we can benefit from. This is in our ingredient. We are same way. You stop the person, that's it. It's going to be root, rotten. It's going to smell bad is going to do a lot of wrong things that will make all of us smell bad. You have to let us move. Every person has to understand, don't try to stop people. Always find the avenues for them to move. They may be trying to move in a wrong direction, just show them the right direction to move. But don't stop them. Children in their infancy, when they don't speak, when they don't walk, parents are playing with their children and they keep on talking to them. You want them to speak. You want them to talk. Come on, talk. Come on, say something. Come on, sweetie, say something. As the child grows up and now starts talking and starts walking, you say, shut up and sit down. You were looking for him to walk. You were looking for him to talk. When he started talking, you said, no, don't talk. Sit down. As he walks, sit down. When you talk, no, don't talk. This method of dealing with each other, it's never beneficial for any of the two parties that are involved in this type of tarbiyah, in that type of environment. We always need to understand each other. We need to open the avenues and rooms for each other. Really, we are seeing in today's time, generations are growing with that type of environment where we want our children in that young age to behave like the presidents of the country. This is our expectations. Every mother in her home is the principal of a school. Many times, our children, they don't find their parents' home. They find teachers and principals. They find supervisors in their home. And they're looking for a father or they're looking for a mother. But that 
father and mother are missing from the house. Because that person that was supposed to be a father or supposed to be a mother became the principal, became the teacher. And more than that, most of the time, father is just a supervisor. Let alone taking our professions back home. And I'm really, I mean this, we need to pay attention to it. Try to look into your life. Maybe at this time when you hear me, you say, you know, it's just a talk. It's just a lecture. I, I told you from the beginning, I'm not in the mood of giving any lecture. You woke me up early in the morning, I was traveling the whole night. So I'm, I'm going to just talk to you frankly some things that I think hopefully, inshallah, can benefit our young generation here. Whatever our profession is, we need to learn one thing. In today's society, they make us be what our profession is. If you are a teacher in a school, any time you are asked, well, who are you? I'm a teacher. Although the person didn't even ask you, what are you? But even who are you? I'm a teacher. Who are you? I'm a doctor. What's our time limit? I better ask now rather than later. Nini, what time is Salah, Sheikh? Two. And what's the program like? Today's. I need to make sure, you know. So 10 more minutes. You know, kids, there was a boy, there was a scholar who used to give a talk. And every time he gives a talk, he puts a candy in his mouth. So by the time the candy finishes, he knows my time is over. One day, his talk is going on and on and on. It's not stopping. And people are wondering what happened. And he says at the end, oh, did we go over it? And he looks out. It was the button of his jacket that he put in his mouth instead of a candy. So if you want to give me something, make sure it's a, it's a candy, it's not a button. So many times we take our professions back home. A person who's a physician, he wants to go back home and start talking to children according to his patients. Did you eat this? How about your diet? Make sure you don't eat this. Oh, this is, these are the harms and gives you the whole list, read the whole list of harmful things in this candy. And all our conversation is about how we treat our patients. A person who's a police officer, and this is something, if you know some Muslim police officers and you counsel them, you know, because as imams you have to counsel people also, and you will see one of the people who have major problems in their lives are those who hold a profession where there can be bows somewhere. So they become, they, they, this, is become, this becomes their nature. They become very bossy. So now the person who's a police officer and on the road, everyone respects him. You know, he's behind someone. And the people are, what, what happens if there's a police car behind you? You move over. Now you go home and you tell wife, your wife, pull over. He says, what do you mean? Get out of here. It doesn't work in the house. Okay. So it's a fact. Don't take your professions home. Leave them at your workplace. Don't, when you're, 
in the house when you are asked, who are you? You are not a doctor. You are not a lawyer. You are not a police officer. You are not a council member. You are not a director. You are not even imam or sheikh in your home. You know your wife doesn't accept you as a sheikh. That was the lie. If you, if you convince her, I, I'll say everyone is a sheikh, mashallah. But it doesn't go home. These things don't go back home with us. So when you are home, who are you? I'm the father, I'm the husband. I'm the mother, and I'm the wife. I'm not what my profession is. Stop your profession at, your work, uh, at the place of your work. Don't bring it out of there. Don't deal with your neighbors, with your friends, and worse than that, with your family members according to your profession. It's really have been seen and noticed to be one of the most destructive things in a family system when every person in the family is taking his profession into the house. Children grow up. They, the parents came from back home. They worked very, very hard to get their children higher education. The child, one of the children is a lawyer. Another child is a doctor. They come home, when they talk to their parents, they look at their parents, what do you know? I'm a lawyer. And they want to talk to their parents as if they are talking to their clients. They are taking their profession back home, not realizing that there was a boundary there. That profession was in your office. If you forgot it and took it with you, by the time you come home, and you're about to go and meet your parents, make sure you throw that idol out of this house. It is an idol in that house. Now is a time when you go and you shake your parents' hands. You kiss their hands. You kiss their forehead. This is what you need to take home. Every time, children, listen to me. Every time you go home, first thing you say, salam to your parents. Look for where they are. Say salam to them. Kiss your mother's hand. Kiss your mother's forehead. Kiss your mother's, your father's forehead. Make it a habit. These are certain habits that are out of our tradition now. Especially, I know the Indo-Pak tradition. Arabs, alhamdulillah, are still holding to certain level of that tradition. But other traditions, many of them, they totally have neglected these type of methods of treating family members, of being close to each other, of showing love. You may carry it, and you are full. Your heart, your mind is full of love. But you never say it. You never say that word. You never say to your children, I love you, son. You never say to your daughter, I love you, my sweet. You know, no, that, that is a word I can't use, you know, you know, I'm a father, you know, okay, and I'm a police officer too. As I said, we lost, we lost the family values behind these titles. Whereas in reality, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala introduces us as we are human beings and we are family before we are anything else. يَا أَيُّهَا النَّاسِ إِنَّا خَلَقْنَاكُمْ مِنْ ذَكَرٍ وَأُنْثَى O mankind, we created you from a male and a female.
This is the first bound. And inshallah, we'll talk about this bound in the evening. That's our evening topic of a husband and wife. And after that, the second bound that we are going to be talking about here today is our children. Sayyidina Ibrahim alayhi salatu wasalam, Khalilullah. We know his title, Khalilullah. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala witnesses for him. Wa Ibrahim alladhi waffa. He tested Ibrahim alayhi salam in every situation, at every level, from every avenue, from every angle. Leave your parents. He left his parents. Left, leave your country. He left his country. Be ready to be burned into fire. Okay, I can be thrown into the fire. I don't mind it. For the sake of my Rabb, I'm willing to do anything. I, I'm willing to sacrifice and offer anything. And he was thrown into the fire. He, he didn't know he would be saved. Before he was thrown, he doesn't know that he's going to come out of it. Okay, these are the last minutes of my life. I'm going to just give my life to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala let them throw me and I'm done that's it according to his understanding imagine a person who knows that that's it this moment of my life is the last moment of my life and next moment I'm out of this world Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala was testing him he saved him now he goes out go where go all the way to Palestine from Iraq now he goes and resides over there he's living there and for a long time he's just making dua to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala you know how old was Ibrahim when he got his son? He is in his 80s. And he's making dua, Rabbi Habli min as salihin. Rabbi Habli min as salihin. We make dua for a few days and we say, I don't know why my dua is not accepted. We give up. We are very impatient. I have been making dua for two years. I have been making dua for so many years. Ibrahim السلام, imagine for how many years he must have been making that dua, Rabbi Habli min salihin In his 80s, he gets a child. When he gets his son in his 80s, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, Oh Ibrahim, now you need to go far from where you live. He's in Palestine. Go far, keep on traveling, I'll tell you where to go. And he travels miles and miles and hundreds of miles all the way from Palestine to where Makkah Mukarramah is nowadays. He's in the middle of nowhere. Imagine you're traveling in the desert. You don't even know where you're heading to. There is no concept of Makkah and Kaaba at that time yet. That's only a desert. He's passing by that and he stops over there. And he receives the revelation. Okay, leave them there. Go back where you came from. What? After that dua of over 80 years, I'm going to leave my child over here. I'm going to leave my family over here in this desert and go back. How are they going to survive? There is no, no means of survival here. Oh, Ya Allah, didn't you say that I'm responsible for my family? You know, we will have all kind of fatwas. We all are muftis, mashallah, when it comes to that. Oh, but you know, Islam says this also. Islam says this also. A person is missing the salah. You tell him, brother, it's time for salah. He says, yeah, but you know, Islam gives me the responsibility of my family too. I'm, I'm earning for my family. We find our fatwas. We find things to go around things. Ibrahim salam didn't ask a single question. Didn't ask a single question. He left them there. And he goes away. There are the remaining part of the story. We may have to discuss it at the second topic. So I'll skip that part. 
Now Ibrahim السلام, after some years, he's told to go back. Go, visit your family. Your child has grown up now. He is older now that he can run with you. He can, you can play with him. Go, go, go back home and see your, your child. Okay, he goes to see his child. And in between he went and visited them as uh, the uh, books of histories will tell us. So Ibrahim والسلام, now when he's there, as some of the Mufassirin say, somewhere around the age of seven, eight, uh, Ismail alayhi salatu wasalam is around that age and Ibrahim alayhi salam goes there balagha ma'ahu sa'i his son is running with him playing with him Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says to Ibrahim alayhi salatu wasalam that now slaughter your son just think about it slaughter your son Ya Allah I thought you accepted my dua for giving me a son but now after having son for so many Waited, waited so many years. After so many years, you gave me the child and you told me to go away and leave him in the desert and go away from them. I didn't even enjoy to be with him for a long time. And now, as he's able to run around and play and go with me wherever I need to take him, you're telling me to slaughter him. Ya Allah, please. Can you just change something? Can I find some other way around it? No, no, no. He's ready to do it. So, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, so he tested him with his parents, with his city, with his wife as we see later, and with his child. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, when Allah is marking the sheet of Ibrahim alayhi salatu wasalam, he says, Ibrahim alladhi wafa, 100%. He did everything, 100%, without any hesitation, no questioning, no objections. No finding fatwas. No shopping for fatwas. He just did everything the way I told him. Wafa. Wafa is when you do something fully and completely. This is why our death is called wafa also. That Allah takes us fully. So, Ibrahim alayhi salatu wasalam. Wafa. He's making dua for such a long time to have a child. Why is he making that dua? Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is showing us that in spite of being Khalilullah, Nabiullah, Abul Anbiya, having all of those titles, the thing he's missing in his life to have children. You could have you could be anything, you could be everything, you could obtain the highest status in this world. If you don't have children, you know that there is something that you're missing in your life. People May Allah protect us from going through that test. But people who don't have children, they're willing to sacrifice anything and everything so that they can have children. And for those of us who have children, we know we are really living for our children. The lifestyle that we choose for ourselves, the house that you buy, the work you choose, the struggle that you go through, the place that you live in, all of that just goes around my children. That's your main concern at the time of choosing anything in your life. What will happen to my children in the initial days? That their upbringing, then later on their education, and then their well-being, and now settle them down. This is all that we are working for. Ask any person who is, mashallah, making tons of money. And husband and wife both are working. 
and they both are putting everything in their savings. A time comes when they may think, let's just go out for, you know, vacation. And but it's going to cost us about ten, fifteen thousand dollars, the one that we like to go for. But then, if we spend this money now, next year the child is going to the college and then university, and we have to pay the tuition. Do we have enough saving for that if we spend on our vacation? No, if we don't have it, then let's just sacrifice our vacation. We're going to stay home. I went to New Jersey once. After the program, the brother, one of the brothers said to me, we need to go and visit a family. On the way, he told me the situation of the family that we are going to visit. Basically, we are visiting only a mother who has her child who was in about 27 years old, if I remember correctly. It's a long time back. So, when we went home, this is the scene that I have seen with my own eyes, that there is, a, you can say, a man, really, laying in his bed. He can't speak. He can't move. He can't even move his fingers. All he speaks is with, the, uh, uh, with his eyes, just moving his eyes. I asked the mother, how long this young man is in this situation? She says he was five years old when he got sick. He had a fever. We took him to the doctor who by mistake prescribed the wrong medicine. Because of that, this child is in this situation now. So now 22 years when I visited the child, that man. 22 years. This mother doesn't go nowhere. She doesn't know anyone around her. She just stays there 24-7 in that house because she has to take care of her child. She can never leave this child alone. And she doesn't have no relatives, no family members that can help her in that. And now she got so attached to the child that she understands everything. I, even, I really took a full interview because it was something that I'm seeing a very, very unique situation here. So I asked her, I said, how do you know that he needs food or he needs to go to the bathroom? He, this child doesn't even cry. You know, when you have an infant, you will cry. You will know that, okay, now wake up. He needs something. And then you can keep on trying your luck. Find if he's sick or if he's cold or hot or needs food or needs to change the diaper, whatever it needs. But how do you figure that out? I don't hear not a single sound from this young man. He said, I just feel it. I just feel it. When he gets hungry, I just feel that he must be hungry. When he needs to use the bathroom in his bed, I just feel that he needs to use the bathroom. To move a 27-year-old man. It's a man. 27-year-old man to move him around, to clean him, to wash him, to give him to shower. Just in his bed, everything doing in his, in his bed is not an easy thing. Believe me, it's not an easy thing. Just carrying the children after some years, mother say, you know, I have started having pain in my shoulders. Because you were heavy when you were young. And here, this mother, at the age of 27, and she's moving him around. She's taking care of everything in his life. Why is she doing it? That rahmah that Allah has placed in our mother's heart for us. No one can understand that rahmah. It's a fact no one can understand that Rahmah. Generally, we understand the Rahmah of our parents only 
when we become parents. And at that time, it's sometime too late to realize what our mothers did for us. This is why, my young friends, you know, at this time you may think, yeah, but you know, sometimes mom says this to me, sometimes doesn't allow me to do this, sometimes dad, you know, doesn't want us to get what we want. It's all out of their love. No one loves you more than your parents. And this is why, even one word that you say, you talk back to your parents, it hurts them. It hurts them because they love you so much. They can't expect that from you. They want beautiful children that always listen to their parents, that can appreciate what their parents are doing for us. You know, I want my young children, my, my young brothers and sisters to realize this. And in fact, even for us who are grown up and we have our parents, I want to make sure that we understand and we remember and we don't forget these realities. Because sometimes realities are forgotten. No one, no one will clean your nose with his fingers. Your mother was trying to reach in and clean your fingers in your nose. And clean your diapers. It's a fact. Don't forget it. They do all of that. When they see before having children, you see young girls, mashallah. You know, before having children, you see even a child who's standing about two miles away from you with nose coming out. And you're, oh, you're gross. And after having our own children, it's dripping from the nose and kissing the mouth also at the same time. You go and kiss your child. Before you didn't want to look at the child. Someone else's child. And now, the child comes, Ma'am, can I kiss you? And you look at the mouth. <laughs> okay, okay, go ahead. <laughs> it's all wet here now by the time the child is done. But still, you love your children. This is the love that Allah has placed in our hearts. Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, once he saw, during a battle, after the battle was over, a mother who was looking for her child. She doesn't know if she could find her child alive. She is running all around looking for the child. And while Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam is sitting with Sahaba Ridwanullahi alayhi majma'een, that mother finds her child. So she runs to the child. She hugs the child, grab him up, pick him up, and she starts kissing the child. Imagine how much love the mother would show to that child who she thought may be totally missing from her life and never get it back and get him back again. So she is hugging and kissing him. Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam said to Sahaba Ridwanullahi alayhi majma'een, أَتَرَوْنَ هَذِهِ مُلْقِيَةٌ إِبْنَهَا فِي النَّارِ Do you think this mother would ever throw her child into the fire? He said, no, ya Rasulullah, never. وَهِيَ تَقْدِرُ أَنْ لَا تَفْعَلُ If she has any way of stopping herself from doing that, which means with her own choice, she would never do that. Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam said, Allah has more rahmah on his servants than this mother has love and mercy for her child. Imagine if we cannot understand the rahmah and the mercy and the love of our mothers. How would we understand the rahmah of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala? How could we understand the rahmah of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala? You know, sometimes when children ask the question, they scare me more than adults asking the question. Children's questions are more difficult to answer. Because 
they think from certain angle that generally as we grow up, we don't mean, we may not think from those angles. So once we were, I was talking to young children, and I said, Allah loves you, and I'm talking to them about the love of Allah, and one of the young girls, about seven, eight years old, she raises her hand. I said, yes. She says, how much Allah loves us? How much? I'm going to say, how much? And subhanAllah, then that hadith came to my mind. I said Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, Prophet sallallahu told us in the hadith that when Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala created the rahmah, He divided the rahmah into hundred portions. So you take one big thing and you cut it into hundred pieces. And then one piece of that He sent it to this world to be distributed between all the creatures. All the creatures. Animals, jinns, human beings, all of us got just little share from that one person. And 99% of that he kept it with himself. This is how much more rahmah he will have on us. And really this is only so that we can explain it. Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa when I used to read this hadith, and I'll tell you something. When I used to read this hadith, I always used to have a question. Why did Rasulullah sallallahu talk about dividing? Because Allah never divides anything. It's a fact. Allah doesn't divide. He gives us our share, but He has 100%. He doesn't have 99%. Why did Prophet sallallahu use that example? When this young girl asked me that question, I realized why Rasulullah sallallahu used that dividing. Because only through that you can understand somehow of how much more rahmah Allah has on us. That if my mother, not only my, uh, she, not only that she has one person of it, she has her share from one person that was distributed to the whole world from Adam والسلام, to the last human being that will come into the world. We're all just getting our share from that one person of it. There are two parts that we are talking about. We as parents, taking care of our children, and when you are taking care of our children, we take care of our children as parents, not as principals. You know, many times when we tell our children, just sit down, don't talk, or don't run around, ask yourself a simple question. And I want as parents to ask ourselves a simple question. Why don't I want the child to run around? You know why? Maybe something we never thought about. Is not because running around is bad for a child's health. Is not because we think running around is a bad habit. No. Because my house worth a million dollars. My house worth a million dollars. Everything around the house is fragile. All the decorations, lamps, glasses, everything is very fragile. You're going to run around, you're going to mess the carpet, you're going to mess the decorations, and things are going to fall down. So because of all of these things that are in the room, you don't want your child to run around. This is why you don't mind your child running around in the masjid. <laughs> I was waiting for that. This is why I stopped. <laughs> See? It's a fact. It's not because we think they're developing a bad habit. It's because we think they're going to break things around the house. So what worth more? Your decorations, 
your beauty, things that you like to have in the house, or your child. Take all of these things out of your home and let your child run around. Take these things out of your basement and let them give them the freedom. Okay, this is your freedom. Go and run around here and do whatever you want and play as you like. We tell them, don't go out. Stay in. Inside, don't run around. Just sit down. What do, you, what do we want our children to do? It's totally against their nature. And through this, we are really, really suppressing their true nature. You are just pushing it down. In some time, this child, will, you will see it one of the two things. Either the child becomes rebellious or becomes very quiet. That's it. Loses his, as we say, appetite. I don't feel like eating no more. When you have ten items there and you tell the child, you know, this, is, uh, this has sugar and this has salt in it and this has, uh, uh, like, this is too hot and this is too cold. So don't eat none of these things. Just eat this one here. Doesn't want to eat anymore. Ma'am, you go ahead and eat everything. Because you're a doctor. Eat whatever you want. <laughs> but I'm not eating nothing. I just need to go. No, no, sweetie. Eat, 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 eat. Okay, what do you want to eat? Now I want to eat that bar. That whatever, you know, chocolate. Oh, no, no. That's not good for your teeth. See? We are killing children's true nature of trying to help them to get something they like. They know anytime, most of the time, a child will come to you, dad or ma'am, I want to do this. The first answer is no. Isn't it? That's the first answer. No, ma'am, you know this, 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 this. Okay, these are the conditions you have to follow. Number one, two, three, four. Now the child goes and forgets all of his conditions and all of those documents that he has signed. And two hours later, you find out that everything is going you know, down the drain. You call the child. Come on, time out. Subhanallah, time out in the, in the house? You are a principal now. As I said, many of the mothers are principals. At the age of three, four and we really love it when we see the culture around us. This is today's culture. Really, the culture around us is such that by the age of three, children learn how to obey their parents. Otherwise, there is a punishment. Otherwise, there is a punishment. That punishment is your time out. Three-year-old child face the wall and stand. <laughs> Standing by the wall and crying. Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam says, Muru awradakum lissalat lissabain. Ask your children to pray at the age of seven. You are telling them to clean the room at the age of three? Sharia says, excuse them from responsibilities until they are at the age of seven. We want them because we want everyone to see. It's really you are more proud when you have guests over, when you have family members over, brothers and sisters, they come over, and you can tell your child, sit down, and the child sits down, and you feel so proud of yourself. See, my child. All of that tarbiya you did of the last three years, it was for this moment of your life. I'm telling you, it is for that moment of your life when you can show everyone, my child will listen to me. 
but what have you done to the child? You killed the child's nature. This poor young child, be it a boy or a girl, in their hearts, they're destroyed. They're really destroyed. I'm telling you. Order your children to start praying at the age of seven. Before that, Sharia doesn't even tell us to order them to pray. Playing, they are playing, you are praying, and you look at your child. Don't you see I'm praying? No. Sharia, Rasulullah, if he was around, he will say, he doesn't have to see you praying. You go and go ahead and pray. If the child will come and join, mashallah, encourage the child. But if the child doesn't come and join, Allah has given him the freedom. Now, at the age of seven, at the age of seven, you tell you your child, come and pray. And the child comes sometimes, then you tell them, okay, I'm going out, make sure you pray Zohar. When I'm not home, you will pray Zohar. You come back home, you ask the child, did you pray Zohar? Mm, no. How come you didn't pray? Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa says, Give them three years period before they start getting trained to start doing it. At the age of 10, then if they don't listen to you, now you can start punishing them for it. Punishment will start at the age of 10. So three years, you say, I've been telling you for, I told you 100 times. 100 times? How many prayers, you know, if you tell them for five times a day, Hundred times really is not even some months. Rasulullah says three years. Keep on telling them three years. Pray, 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 pray. And after six months, the child still didn't pray. No punishment yet. Two and a half more years to go. You say, I've been telling you for the last six months. Rasulullah says, wait another two and a half years. This is so that we can understand the nature of our children. Make them learn. Make them get used to things. Don't pressure them. Don't force them. And don't, as I said, in today's time, people really like to do it as we see it outside there. And I'll tell you why there is a difference. There is a difference between what Rasulullah is teaching us and between what the local culture here is teaching us. What Rasulullah is telling us that at the young age, give them their freedom. Okay? Give them their freedom. And let them play. Of course, don't spoil them. This doesn't mean that let them do whatever they want and they say no and they don't listen to you and they don't want to sleep, they don't want to wake up. No, 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 no. Of course, we have to teach them how to behave. They must listen. It's not about they don't listen. They must listen. But we as parents, tell them the things that are doable. So, you take it easy. Let them play, let them enjoy their freedom, let them have their time. They're growing up and with time they start learning things. When they grow up at the age of 10 now, as they have to now make sure that they perform their prayers. That simply means now they're responsible for their actions. From now on and onward for the rest of their lives, they are responsible. Now things will change in their lives. Train them from 7 to 8 to move from the period of having full freedom and to a period where they will be having full responsibility after the age of 10. In this culture that we are living in, we love what they, how they treat their children in the young age. 
but then we don't like what they make their children do after they grow up. Isn't it? Because it goes the opposite direction. In this culture, at the young age, make them, don't give them no freedom. Restrictions, homework, work, this, studying this, doing this, doing this, listen and clean and do this, do this. But as they grow up in their teen age, no, I'm not talking good. In their teen age, then they get start getting their freedom. See, in this culture, in their teen age, they start getting their freedom. Now, as they are in their 14, 15, 16, as you grow, you keep on growing your freedom here. Do whatever you want. You have you want to have party with friends. Go ahead, do what you want to do. You want to go for outing. You want to spend uh, your nights outside. You want to go camping. Do whatever you wish. Eat what you like. Drink what you like. Enjoy the way you like. And finally comes to an age of 18, 19 where? That's it. Go on your own. You don't have to do anything anymore. Don't listen to your parents. Once a year, send us a loving card, a card, Father's Day, Mother's Day, and that's it. This is all what you're supposed to do now for your parents. When they're old, that's fine. We will put them in the old age home. You can go and visit them there. But, see, we are going the opposite direction here. From our Sharia point of view, from our cultural, uh, the way the deen have established our culture is just going the opposite direction. At the young age, give them the freedom so they can enjoy it. And they can play because at this time, their freedom will not lead them to sins. At this age, even Allah says that they have no sin on them. There is no sin on them. If the child doesn't pray, there is no sin. No, doesn't fast, there is no sin. Until the age of puberty, there is no sin on them. Sharia lifted the responsibilities. So give them the freedom at that time. Now, as they start getting into the age where they can differentiate between Haq and Baathil, truth and falsehood, right and wrong, and this is good and this is bad. Now they will start building up responsibilities, start taking care of responsibilities. We will start loading responsibilities on them. So now from now on until the last day of their life, they will be loaded with responsibilities towards their parents, towards their education, as they grow up, towards the whole family, relatives, neighbors, these are all responsibilities. They grow up further, they get married, now responsibility of a family, and you know how the circle goes after that. You want your children, you, you want to be settled yourself. Okay? So there was a time when we all wished, you know, I just need to graduate, and then inshallah I'm settled. After graduating, if I just get married and find a good wife, and sometime may Allah protect, if I just find this one, then I'm settled. And then you get settled with that too. And then you move forward. If only I get a house, then alhamdulillah, that's all I need. I don't need anything else. So you got your house that you were, you were dreaming. Now we need children. So if we just get the children, then inshallah we are settled. So you get Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala blesses you with children. Now if my children become obedient and they listen to us, then that's the best thing that we have got in our life. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala make your children obedient and you get what you want from your children. The children are growing up. Now if my children will get the proper education, then we are settled. And now keep on going in the circle. It will never stop.
who is this person who's going through the circle is the same child that we are that we are raising right now. See, even the mic fell down. Couldn't listen. Couldn't hear this heavy message. So it's the same children that at this time they are in our home and we are trying to stop them from a lot of things. But look at the circle they have to go through. So have rahmah on them at this time. Have mercy on them at this time. Give them some time right now. And of course, with as children, as children we have to make sure our parents are living really for us. They sacrifice everything for us. They gave up everything for us. As I said, that mother, I gave you a simple example. That mother who doesn't go nowhere. You know, sometimes we feel, oh, you know, my husband doesn't take me for outing. My husband doesn't have time for me. Imagine now this mother who is raising that man of a, uh, 27 years old. Where can she go? Doesn't, have, doesn't she have the same feeling as all the other neighbors and everyone else around her in the world that have, that you know, if you can go out for outing, you can just have little break, little break from this, so you can go out and enjoy yourself and have some freedom and just get rid of all of these problems in your mind and just come out of these four walls of the house. This mother, if anyone in the world will offer her to take her, she can't even go. And really this is something... That is a bigger picture, but generally all parents go through the similar type of situation in our life. For example, many of us, if we didn't have our children, we may not live in this town. But you find some education for your children, maybe something that you see interesting for your children. Okay, I live around my family, so my children can go and visit their cousins, their uncles, and all of that. We have some reason where children are attached over there. So you want that place for your children. If it wasn't because of our children, we will think, I really don't need to make all of that money. As I said, sometimes we are making tons and tons of money. And you ask the person, when are you going to use it? He said, for my children. The person is not planning to use those million dollars for himself. Really, it's saving it so my children can use it sometime. This is, parents are for their children. Family, the whole extended family maybe. Or maybe the community on a Eid day, some special occasion, they have planned for, uh, to go for outing, beautiful uh, environment, enjoyment. They have planned for everything and they have made so much preparation. A child in the family gets sick and the mother says, I'm not going nowhere. I'm not going nowhere. I'm staying with my child because I can't take him out. And if he's staying home, if he has to stay home, then I'm not going either. She won't say to someone else, come and take care of my children in my home. No, I'm not going nowhere. Mothers are sacrificing so much for us. You know, every day we go to the school, your mother is waiting for you. My child is going to go home, come home and I'm going to give him this food. I'm going to prepare this for him. I'm going to sit with my child and talk to him. And we go home and we say to our mothers, give me your phone because I need to play. Your mother wasn't waiting for you to... Take her phone away with her from her from her, and to just sit and with your phone and play with your phone. She was waiting for you so that she can talk to you. She can sit with you. You are her flower of the life. You are the beauty of her life. You are everything that she looks up to in her life. If when you are sad, she feels more sad than you are. When you are sick, she feels like she's more sick than you are. When you are sick, she stay up the whole night taking care of you. When you are sick, she sacrifices everything. 
so we need to appreciate what our mothers are doing may allah subhanahu wa ta'ala save our parents for us and may allah subhanahu wa ta'ala save our children for us and may allah subhanahu wa ta'ala give us those beautiful families where we can all live with love taking care of each other's feelings and may allah subhanahu wa ta'ala make our homes to be the true homes according to the teachings of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Those beautiful homes where everyone cares about other, where everyone loves other, where everyone wants to make sure that he is not selfish and takes care of other people's feelings and needs more than we feel, more than we worry about our feelings and our needs. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala bring that beautiful families and beautiful culture and beautiful society in this community and all Muslim communities. Wasallallahu ta'ala ala khayri khalqih, Sayyidina wa Habibina wa Nabiyina Muhammad wa ala alihi wa sahbihi ajma'in. Walhamdulillahi rabbil alameen. Ameen ya rabbil alameen.